0: Good morning again. If you have a Bible, open it up to the Psalms. We'll be in Psalm 119 today, finishing up uh, this Psalm. And then we've got a few more weeks in the book of Psalms uh, before we move on to other things. We'll be on page 515 in the Black Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you but want to grab one, there's some under the chairs. You can follow along with us there, page 515. We've been going through this series in the Psalms called Collide, Emotion Meets Truth in the Psalms, and we've been challenged... Uh, by the call to live our lives in that tension of being really emotionally honest people that are real with God about our our ups and our downs, our highs and our lows, uh, and living also in emotional honesty with other people and community, but still at the same time submitting ourselves to the authority of God's truth. Um, So neither running to be uh, emotion-only people or truth-only people, but living in the tension between those two things. Psalm 119 helps us to hammer that out. Um, I was, a couple of weeks ago, told you we'd be in Psalm 119 for three weeks, and I had a buddy coming in to preach last week on Psalm 119, but he broke his foot in a climbing accident in the middle of the week, so I was very thankful. A mentor of mine, Shannon Sword, from uh, our temple church that helped us to get started, uh, Temple Bible Church, he came over and preached last week, so I was appreciative of that, um, and just want to apologize for any stories he might have made up about me when I was younger. Uh, I can't really verify all of those things, but... I uh, do appreciate him coming in. Um, so anyway, we're back in Psalm 119 again now. And what we're going to see in Psalm 119 is this uh, wrestling with submitting ourselves to God's authority in our lives, submitting ourselves to God's Word. Uh, one of the phrases that we use in our core value statement, you'll see a poster in the hallway, it says we believe that we should submit ourselves to the Bible, that God calls us to submit to the Bible. So we're calling the sermon this morning, Collide with Submission, uh, and we purposefully chose a hard word, so I just want to say that up front. Um, I know that in our culture, that's a, that's a hard word, and we're trying to press a little bit there. We understand that we're a culture, um, even myself, I struggle with rules, I struggle with authority, um, but God calls us to live under His authority. And one of the things that we learn as we begin to walk with God is it's actually better when we live our life under His authority. He actually cares about us more than we even care about ourselves. Uh, and so that's that's really the walk of faith is, is learning that step by step, learning to turn yourself over to him, to submit to him, to submit to his word and his leadership. Uh, and so that's the struggle that we're all in together, uh, whether you're a complete skeptic or whether you've been following God for many years. We all struggle really at a heart level to believe that we can trust him, to believe that we can submit our lives to him. So we'll learn more about that today. Let's read, Uh, we'll be in Psalm 119, verses 129 through 136. Yes, it is a very long, long psalm. Uh, We're in the pay section. I told you a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 119 is set up like an acrostic. It's got letters of the alphabet for each section. So here we're in letter P, pay. Um, So it starts out in 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Let me pray for us. God, we ask for your help this morning that you would teach us. God, we confess that all of us struggle to to trust that you really are good, to trust that you have our best interest in mind, that you love us. We pray that you would convince us, that you would teach us, that your spirit would meet us here this morning. And uh, allow us to begin to trust and begin submitting ourselves more and more to your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the areas that we really hammer out the, the whole idea of submission is uh, in parenting or being a child, really. So uh, many of you are parents. Some of you may not be parents, but uh, you were a, a child at least once, or you watch bad parents in the grocery store a lot of times, too, so you see this sort of thing play out right? Um, There's this struggle when you're raising kids to teach them to actually submit to your authority because uh, just for some reason the way we're all made, it's universal, all humans, we think we know better than any authority that's over us, right? And sometimes that's even uh, complicated by the fact that that sometimes authorities are just bad and, and wrong and so that gives us even more excuses to not obey whatever particular authority has has been placed over us. And so as a parent, part of your job is to train your kids to submit to your authority, train them to do the right thing. But part of what you're trying to do is you're also trying to to train them to trust you, to actually trust that you love them and that you're not just trying to make their life miserable, but you're trying to lead them into good things. And so that, you know, some days it works better than other days. And I was remembering a particular time when it didn't go real well for me with with one of my kids, um, sometimes you say something to your kids, and as soon as you say it, you're like, that was the wrong way to say that, right? Have you ever been there before? Some of you have. Okay, maybe it's just me. A few of you have been there. Um, I I remember one time, uh, one of my kids, who will remain nameless, was four or five, uh, and they were having a hard time submitting to my authority. And and so it got to this point, things were a little tense, and I said, who's going to win this one? And... (laughs) And as soon as I asked that question, I was like, that was a really stupid question to ask, right? That's not going to help this child obey. That's actually going to appeal to their desire to be in charge. And so I said, who's going to win this one? And they said, I am. <laughs> and I was like, okay, maybe I said that the wrong way. All right, let's, let's start all over again. But uh, sometimes that's the way we are with God, right? Sometimes we're that way with God. We're just like... I'm going to do this myself. I know better than you do, God. I know how to live my life. And this crazy picture we get in Psalm 119 is of someone that actually loves God's authority. We get this just bizarre picture, because most of us don't live there every day. This bizarre picture of someone who just finds God's law and God's authority sweet and beautiful. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? I would argue that the only way it's possible for us to consider God's authority to be a sweet and beautiful thing in our life is if we've been radically changed by the good news of Jesus Christ, this God who would come after us, who would die in our place, who would take our sins upon himself and give us his free righteousness. He rose from the dead, proving that he had conquered sin and death for us. And when we see God through that lens of what God has accomplished in the gospel, that changes our whole perception of him. We see God differently. We begin to trust that God is trustworthy. We begin to trust that God is good. We begin to trust that God has our best interest in mind. And that radically alters our posture to God's law. So I'd argue that Psalm 119 is only possible if you know the, the sweetness of a God who loves you. Psalm 119 is only possible if you know the grace of a God who is forgiving, who is tender, who adopts us into his family, even though we've been rebels that have done our own thing, who have said, I'm going to win this one. I'm going to fight you. And he's forgiven us. And he's pulled us in to his uh, family. He's pulled us close to his side. So if you understand God in that way, then you can begin to submit yourself to his leadership. You can begin to turn your life over to him and begin living according to what he says, what he says in his word and his law. There's all these words throughout Psalm 119 for God's guidance, right? His direction, his law, his statutes, his precepts, his ordinances, his testimonies. These are all just different words for a God who reveals his directions to us in, in his word. And so the first thing I want us to wrestle with is that we are to submit our desires to God's word. If we're going to learn how to submit to God's Word, we have to submit our desires, our emotions, our our heart longings. What are the longings of your heart? It's it's not enough to just do what God says but hate Him the whole time. You actually have to have proper desires. Real obedience is not just obeying but wanting to obey. So those of us that are kind of religious uh, on the surface, going through the motions, the Scripture actually says that's not enough. Jesus continually challenged the, the religious leaders of his day and said, you're hypocrites, you're hypocrites. So we have two problems, right? We have the problem of running full speed in the other direction, being a complete rebel and doing everything God told us not to do. The other problem is being a religious hypocrite where we go through the motions and we, we pretend that external obedience is enough, and it's not. We have to have a heart change. We have to have desires that desire what is good, that desire what is right. We have to submit our desires to him. Look at verse 129. I'm kind of jumping around here because this section mixes all these ideas up in one big whole. So I'm going to kind of break it up into different parts. Look at verse 129. It says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. So it starts off with the idea of wonder, of awe. And I want you to see how this is kind of a heart connection. It doesn't just say I'm going to do my duty and everything's going to be all right. He says, Your testimonies are wonderful. Your law is wonderful. Your word is wonderful. There's this awe and and wonder about it. This is a heart change. This is not just someone going through the motions. This is someone who has a radical change of desires. He goes on to say in verse 131, if you skip a verse, down in 131, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I open my mouth and pant. It's this longing for something, this deep Hunger—it's it's starting to get hotter now. We had really one of the coolest springs we've ever had around here, but but now it's starting to be like Central Texas—you know, starting to be normal and really hot. Um, and if you go work outside all day long, you're going to be panting for some water or some Gatorade, right? You're going to be longing to have that thirst quenched. And what the author is saying here is that you can have a kind of relationship with God where your desires actually pant for God's law, His Word. And again, as I said before, this is crazy. This is not how most of us live, and it's only possible if our heart has been changed by a God who loves us, by a God who is for us. He goes on in 132 and says it this way, turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. That's that heart change. Turn to me, be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. This is, this is a different attitude towards God. This is not just being religious this is seeing God as someone who loves you, someone who is for you. This is a change in the posture of our heart. This is a change in our desires, a change in our emotions. As I was thinking about uh, panting and longing for things, I was thinking about some of my favorite foods. I have a picture here of, of guacamole. Um, I love guacamole, right? If I'm really hungry and my wife is making fresh guacamole, I, I will pant for it, right? Right? I will long for it. I desire it. How many of you, I know some people don't like guacamole. Some of y'all like guacamole? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you do. All right. It's, it's kind of one of those love-hate things, right? For those of you that don't like it, do you hate it? Because most people I've met that don't like it just hate it. It's kind of, it's like one or the other, it seems like. So I was thinking, okay, well, what's, what's on the other side for me? Um, the opposite desire would be grapefruit. Grapefruit. I pretty much like all food, Okay. And I know I'm probably going to get some jokester bringing me grapefruit now at the office during the week. But I pretty much like everything, right? I'm just, I'm an eater. I'm a good eater. It's one of my gifts. Um, but I hate grapefruit. I despise grapefruit. I don't understand. Like, I don't get why God made it. I, I just don't understand. You know what I mean? Just sometimes things are a mystery mosquitoes, grapefruit. I just, I don't understand. And someday I'll learn. Um, but we are to, we're to submit our desires. To God's leadership, to God's word. So I use those two images because that's a like, that's a love and a hate for me. There's probably different foods, different drinks for you that are like that. You know, some things you're like, oh, I love this. Oh, I hate this. And uh, we have to recognize that all of us, universally, all of us are sinners that hate God's law, that hate God's direction. We want to be God. We want to save ourselves or enslave ourselves to some false god of this world and think that that's going to fix things. All of us have that posture of not longing for the right things. And we have to recognize when it, when it comes to God's word and God's law that, that our heart is all messed up. That our desires are all messed up. We desire the wrong things. We've got to come to a place of actually seeing God's direction in our life as, as wonderful. And so that's my question for you. Have, you. have you come to that place yet? Have you come to that place of, of seeing God's direction as actually sweet, God's rule, God's law, God's leadership, His precepts as a good thing. And again, I just want to recognize that, that a lot of us are not there. Even those of us that came to that place one time, right? Like I can remember the time when I, when I came to begin to follow Jesus when I was 17 years old. When I gave my life to Him, I was convinced that He was good. I was convinced that He loved me. Well, there's been a lot of times still in the last 20, whatever that is, 24 years where I still struggle To really believe that what God tells me is good. where I waver. And I have to go back to the picture of this God who loves me through Jesus, who gave His life for me. And when I look back there, I become reconvinced of His intentions towards me. And when I'm reconvinced of His intentions towards me, then I can begin to submit my desires and, and recognize, okay, God, this doesn't seem like a good idea to me, but You've proven Yourself again and again. You've proven yourself again and again, so I'm going to submit my desires to you. My desires will not be king. You will be king. And no matter what area of your life you struggle with, you, you have to come to the place of trusting God's good. He really is wonderful. And you may be able to see that easily in certain areas of your life, and then you come up to one certain area. Be careful of the movement in our culture that says, God's number one desire is for you to have your desires, and therefore, whatever you desire has got to be okay. That's dangerous. That, that's evil. It's wicked. We, we have to submit our desires to God. Because He's smarter than we are. And He loves us more than we love ourselves. So I want to encourage you to, to come to that place of, again, submitting your desires to Him. To be amazed. To, to be in wonder at who He is. The next thing we have to do is submit our thinking to God's word. We have to submit our thinking to God's word. We have to recognize that we're, we're not smarter than him. We have to recognize that sometimes we, we think the wrong things. Um, let's look at verse 130. Verse 130 says it this way, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So if you come to the place of recognizing that you are simple, before God, that you need God's word to inform you? Have you come to that place yet? Have you submitted your thinking to him? And frankly, this is hardest for the smart people. I'm not going to make you raise your hands you know, and be like, all right, who thinks there are a smart person in the room? I'm not going to do that, okay? But I know you're out there, right? Um, I struggle a little bit in this area. Sometimes I think I'm smart. Sometimes I think I got things figured out. And it's most dangerous for those of us that think we're smart. We begin to think, I don't need to submit that area of my life to the Lord because I'm smart. i got things figured out, right? He says, the unfolding of your words gives light. Not my logic, not my thinking, not my degrees. The unfolding of God's word. It imparts understanding to the simple. And then he goes on in verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. This is the Aaronic blessing, the blessing God gave to Aaron in the Old Testament. Um, to make God's face shine upon us, right? And he's saying, God's revelation, God's shining on us is what gives us light. That's what helps us to see things clearly. We don't see things correctly unless God teaches us, unless God shines his light on us. Uh, humans have this incredible ability uh, to think wrongly and, and then justify it along the way. I was talking to some friends the other day. We were at this pastor's conference last week and they're in the process of adopting and they were talking to the adoption agency and there's this one college girl that had a baby and was giving the baby up for adoption. They said, this girl um, did not know she was pregnant until she delivered the baby. And I guess, I mean, I'm not a woman, so I don't wanna be judgmental. I guess that's maybe possible. But in my mind, uh, just knowing how humans think I would call that denial, right? I would just call that denial. She knew something was going on, but she told herself not to think it. We all do that, right? We all have the ability to not think the things that we don't want to think, to change our thinking. C.S. Lewis talks about it in one of his stories about how we have this ability to make ourselves stupider. He, he says the problem with making yourself stupider is that you can do it. You, you can be successful. J. Budziszewski says it this way. He says as an atheist, he had to just start pulling out the control panels of his own brain. We, we, as human beings, we have the ability to do that. It's referred to in the scripture as um, the searing of our conscience. In Romans one twenty-one and Ephesians 4.18, both of those say that we can darken our thinking. We have to be careful of the, uh, what's called the Thomistic tradition. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas was a great thinker brilliant Christian man, but he had one huge blind spot. And the blind spot was that he thought somehow our minds had not been damaged by the fall. He thought somehow it was like our flesh, right? Our flesh does sinful things, but our mind can be pure. If we learn enough logic and reason, we can kind of reason over here and not have our reason affected by sin. But that's just simply not true. What was fascinating, if you study the history of philosophy and we won't stay in philosophy too long, but where we live is an outgrowth of the Enlightenment, right? The Enlightenment is kind of all this philosophy that grew out of the medieval era. The Christian thinking began to teach people how to think more logically, and then what happened is Christian thinking affected cultures, and that trained people to be better thinkers, and they began to learn to be more logical and more reasonable, and then they turned against Christianity and said, so we don't need you anymore, God. We don't need the Bible. We don't need revelation because now we're so smart. But the ironic thing is it was Christian thinking that enabled them to think clearly. It was a Christian worldview that enabled them to be logical and do science. And so it's a, just in the, the history of the world, it's a, it's a picture of how we were taught to think by God and then we turn on Him and go, I don't, I don't think you exist anymore. And we can all do that. We can all do that in different ways in our own lives. We, we think that our thinking is okay, but we need God to reveal to us who he is and what's right about the world. We need to submit our thinking to him, or we're not going to think right at all. You're going to fool yourself. A picture here of a pregnant woman it reminds you of the story of this girl who told herself for nine months she wasn't pregnant, and then she delivered a baby. We can do that in a lot of ways. No matter what area of life you struggle with, you can deceive yourself. You can tell yourself, oh, it's no big deal. And like I said, this is most dangerous uh, for those that think they're smart. I was reading a a book this week, and there's a German theologian that was quoted in this book, and he was talking about the danger to those uh, that are learners and teachers in the church. Uh, The danger, he says it this way, uh, these people succumb all too easily to the psychology of the possessor, but love is the opposite of the will to possess. Possess. It is self-giving. It boasteth not in itself, but humbleth itself. What I want you to hear here is that there's this danger to those of us that think we think well of collecting good ideas, of collecting truth, of collecting thoughts, but not submitting ourselves to God's will. Scripture always fuses knowledge with obedience. And so we can think that we're brilliant, but if we're not living in love, we're idiots. That's, that's the posture of Scripture. If you don't love people, you're an idiot. That's the, that's the biblical view. No offense, but that's what Scripture would say. So we have to be very careful that we submit our thinking to God, as well as our desires, as well as our hearts, that we begin to think God's thoughts after Him. Proverbs 1.7 says it this way, This is the beginning of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the Bible, right? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So there's a lot of places where we try to go collect knowledge, collect wisdom, but if if you have no fear of God, if you have no fear of God, that's not going to end well. It's it's not going to work out. Like I said before, we, we make ourselves stupider and stupider. In Romans 12, 1, he takes us back to the whole kind of picture of how this works, seeing God as gracious, enabling us to think clearly. He says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So Paul's saying, I'm appealing to you based on God's mercy. I'm not appealing to you based on you wanting to be smart. I'm not appealing to you based on some other uh, issue. I'm appealing to you based on God's mercy. God is really merciful. God is really gracious. And he says, therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So what Paul is saying is only based on God's grace can we go through this process. Again, we can't reason our way into it. There's a lot of benefit to apologetics. I love apologetics, but you know, you can't reason your way into the faith. You've got to see God as gracious and merciful through the gospel. If that story doesn't capture your heart, then your thinking will not advance. Now, it's, it's great once you've dealt with that, then, then to deal with the thinking. Apologetics was really helpful for me after I came to faith, because I, I came to faith first, and then I still had all these doubts. I was like, well, I believe in Jesus, but all the rest of the stuff, this is crazy. You know, like there's all these crazy problems and conflicts and issues and things that are difficult to hold to as a thinking person. I had to wrestle through those. It's fair to wrestle through those thinking issues. But the starting point is seeing the mercy of God. Do you see God as merciful or do you see him as an ogre, as a taskmaster, as someone who's out to get you? We have to see God as merciful. And then we can begin renewing our mind. And that process of mind renewal, um, that comes through thinking God is good and then turning over more and more areas of our life to what the Scripture says. We do this as we offer Bible study classes. They're not just about collecting knowledge. They're about studying what God has to say so that we can live according to it. We do this when we encourage you to get into a mentoring relationship or just a Christian friendship where you just get with another person and begin praying through the areas that, that you need to change your thinking in. Right? You just, just find someone of the same gender and say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling. Can we pray together? Can we encourage each other? Sometimes we call that a mentoring relationship. Sometimes we call that an accountability relationship relationship where you kind of encourage one another, but find another brother or sister in the faith to to walk beside, to encourage each other, to, to pray for each other, to, to look at Scripture together, to begin renewing your minds together. Um, scripture memory is great for this too. Just memorizing what God's Word says, you can begin replacing your, your faulty thinking with, with true thinking. But all of it has to start with, the, with a change of heart, with a change of posture, of what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, of doing this by the mercies of God because you think God is, is gracious and merciful. The last thing that I want us to look at is changing our lifestyle, submitting your lifestyle to God's word. It has to look like something, right? We have to walk differently. Um, in verse 133, he says it this way, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Um, Keep steady my steps throughout Scripture. Uh, the life of faith is, is a, a walking image, right? You're walking with God. So it's like, God, help me to walk the right path. And then he says in the second half of the verse, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Iniquity is just another word for sin. So, so God, don't let these things have power over me. What happens when you turn to false saviors like uh, sexual immorality or drugs or... Uh, or even success, or um, making other people like you, whatever it could look like, those things become gods in our life. Those things then begin to have dominion over us. They become addictions, right? So people-pleasing is no longer just you have a friendly personality, but you're addicted to it. It it has control over you. It has its, its talons in you. It has dominion over you, right? So then pleasure is no longer just part of enjoying a good life, but you must have it and it has dominion over you. And so he's saying God help me to not allow these things to have dominion over me. He goes on in verse 134 redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. So 133 is saying don't let sin have its hooks in me. And here he's saying and don't let other people's oppression have their hooks in me, right? Some of us are messed up because of stupid things we've done, our own sin, our our own self-abuse. Some of us are messed up because of the abuse of other people. All of us are messed up by some combination of both things. But here he's addressing both sides of that. He's addressing both sides of it. So some of you may uh, struggle still with the oppression of others in your life, the abuse that others have, have played out in your life. And so you have to heal from that. He starts with prayer here, redeem me from man's oppression, recognizing that God's really the only one that can set you free from that and beginning a journey of being set free from that oppression, from that uh, abuse, from that difficulty. And part of it is teach me your statutes. May I keep your precepts. If you skip down to 136, he says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. My question for you is, is, do you have that kind of emotional reaction uh, when you see people living apart from God's leadership, from God's law? Um, we, we really like to emphasize here that uh, if you're not living according to the, to the law of God, if you're living in rebellion against God, we want you to feel welcome. We love you. Um, it doesn't scare us. We're, we're glad you're here. We want to appeal to you that God really is good and he really does have your best interest in mind. And so at one level, we want to be those kind of people that are welcoming, hospitable, is a New Testament word. We want to show hospitality to outsiders. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We want to be like that. But we also want to be the kind of people that are heartbroken over a culture that lives in rebellion against God. We want to be the kind of people who shed tears, who shed streams of tears. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Do, do you have a desire to live according to what God says that is so strong that when you see people living in addiction to sin, living a lifestyle that's in rebellion to what God asks of us to do, that it breaks your heart, that makes you sad, that you see people just killing themselves, hurting themselves, and, and you have sorrow over that. That's, that's the beginning of beginning to, to turn your lifestyle over to God beginning to see him as really good. Another section in Psalm 119 is really famous. that says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we want to begin to submit our lifestyle to God. Um, there's kind of two big categories that might be helpful for you to think about. There's some of us that are very religious. I've been doing this religion thing for a lot of years, and there's certain sins that we struggle with more, right? The religion, uh, the sins of religion are things like control, success, money, um, people-pleasing. Those are things that religious people struggle with. But we want to submit those areas of our life to God, and not make those things our gods, but but trust God to be our God, to submit more and more to what He says, how we should live generously instead of hoarding money, um, allowing him to be in control instead of trying to control everything ourselves. Seeing what he says is success instead of rating ourselves according to the success of this world. Uh, If you're not religious, if you're irreligious or rebellious or however you want to describe that, if you're not convinced that you want to walk with God, there are different kinds of sins we struggle with, things like sexual immorality, um, pleasure. Um, There are these kinds of sins of just kind of openly... Kind of like I shared with my kid earlier, I'm going to win this one, right? Like I'm going to make my life count. Um, And when you live that way, you come to a point eventually where you find the end of your rope, where you hit rock bottom and you recognize living for pleasure is not going to bring me ultimate pleasure. And so my prayer for you, no matter where you are, whether you're a religious sinner or an irreligious sinner, no matter where you are, for all of us that we would come to a place of turning our lifestyle over to God, really seeing that he is good. But he does love us, and he wants us uh, to follow him. I have a picture here of a detour sign. If you're like me, I, I struggle with uh, rules and authority sometimes. I've, I've gotten better as I've been following God over the years, but w- when I see a, a sign like that, I want to go investigate. Are, are Any of you that way, right? Detour, road closed, I think, well, I wonder how far I could get down that road, right? Like, I wonder, would it just be like a drop-off into an abyss, or what would happen? Um there's a lot of areas of our life that God says, detour, this road is closed, don't go down this road. And what I want you to hear is it's not because he's just trying to ruin our fun, right? If you're curious like me, you might be like, man, God doesn't want me to have fun. No, God God loves you more than you love yourself. God's law is good. It's sweet. Our prayer is that we would become these kinds of people that actually believe that it is good. And as as we do that, again, as our heart and our mind and our posture towards God changes through the gospel, we'll begin submitting our lifestyle to him. We'll begin submitting our lives in a way that recognizes that he really is good. We have a lot of different opportunities for you to do that, little uh, classes that we have, things like Celebrate Recovery that meets on Monday nights, and Celebrate Recovery is really focused on helping people uh, break out of addictions, Uh, but really all of our groups, all of our classes, all of them address that because all of us are addicted to self, all of us are addicted to sin, and all of us need to see God as gracious and begin learning his word and turning more and more of our life, our lifestyles over to him and his leadership. Well, I want to conclude as we just wrap up thinking about the idea of submission, um, that, that the knowledge of God's word is never meant to be separate from the living out of God's word. Uh, Carl Ellis is a well-known African-American pastor in the PCA. Uh, PCA is a, uh, a Bible-teaching Presbyterian denomination. Last couple of weeks, the, the big Presbyterian denomination, there's like 10 of them, that's famous for not teaching the Bible anymore. They've been in the news a lot, so don't confuse them. They're different ones. Um, but this guy, he's a pastor and the one that teaches the Bible, that, that loves the great historic theology that came out of the Reformation Um, And so he believes it deeply. He believes these truths about God that came out of the Reformation, Protestant theology. But he offered a critique at their convention. uh, They were basically repenting over some of the racism in the history of the evangelical church. They were talking about historically how there had been racism problems. So this African-American pastor stood up and he said, I believe our theology, I love our theology, but here's a problem with our theology is we've often emphasized epistemology more than ethics. And epistemology is like how you know things, right? So what he's saying is we've often emphasized truths in an abstract sense more than we've emphasized lifestyle, more than we've emphasized submitting and obeying what God tells us to do. And those things should never be separated. In the Scripture, they're never separated. The more we learn about God, the more it should drive us to live for God. The more we recognize that God is a God of love, the more we're going to love other people. The more we recognize in the cross that Jesus sacrificed for us, the more we're going to live lives of sacrifice and love for others. I shared this a few years ago. There's, there's different ways to think about the word submission. A lot of times we may, might think of the word submission uh, with submission wrestling, right? Where it's just a fight and a fight and a fight and finally someone submits and the other guy's the winner. I want to give you a different picture of submission. I have some puppy dogs that when I walk out in the backyard, as soon as I walk out there, this one dog flips over on her back. And is like, pet me, right? That's a, different, that's a different view of submission, right? She loves me. She thinks I'm awesome. She thinks I'm God, basically, right? <laughs> we need to have that kind of posture towards the God of the universe. We just kind of roll over and we're like, you're good. I love you. I trust you. I'm yours. I give myself to you. That's what submission looks like, and that only can happen if you think God is good. That can only happen if you believe he's trustworthy, that he's given himself to you in the gospel. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you do love us. We thank you that you gave yourself for us through Jesus. I pray that you would teach us what submission looks like, that you would teach us to see that that you are sweet, that you are good. God, make us a people of joy, a people of love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.